0: Welcome to the dream for others podcast. I'm Naomi Arnold, an award-winning business and life passion coach, writer, speaker, and human rights activist. This show features inspiring conversations with those who use their platform, passions, and uniqueness to make a difference in the world. If you are big hearted, open-minded, a lifelong learner, and are on a mission to help create a better world. This is the podcast for you. Now let's get started and dream for others. Today, I am blessed to have musician, singer, songwriter, multiple ARIA award winner Ben Lee on the Dream for Others podcast. On his website, Ben says that he started his career in the music industry hungry for fame, attention, and validation, but with time, Effort, failure, and success, he gradually lost interest in these goals and now continues for different reasons. It is these different reasons that motivated me to invite Ben to feature on the Dream for Others podcast. I had heard him speak about his central mission to awaken consciousness and read about the different ways that he does this through, for example, music, speaking, charitable projects, ethical business coaching, and his essential oils business with his wife, Sky Lee, Essential Oils. Based on all this, I had a feeling that we would have an interesting discussion that could possibly shake up our way of thinking and open our hearts to infinite possibilities. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me on the Dream for Others podcast today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: I have so many questions for you. I had to really rein myself in (laughs) when I was thinking about what I wanted to ask, so I think, oh jump straight in and ask about your central mission to begin with because I've heard you talk about this before in a heap of other interviews about how you're involved in a lot of different projects and and passions and they might seem unrelated to outsiders, but they are all part of this central mission that you have around awakening consciousness. So for those who are listening and haven't heard you speak about this before, can you tell us a bit about your central mission and about what you mean by awakening of consciousness and why it's so important and all those things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it it's it's sort of self-explanatory when we look at the world and see that things could not possibly be in the shape they were in if we were already at our height of compassion, intelligence, connection, intuition, um, we've clearly made simply unintelligent decisions with the way we treat each other, the way we treat the natural world, the way we treat ourselves. So, you know, when you sometimes hear people use this argument of everything's perfect as it is, we just need to accept, and really it's about realizing we're already arrived, we're already awakened. It doesn't make much sense when you look at the world and say, Well, how could awakened people do this to the world that they live in? So with that perspective we can only deduce that our consciousness is asleep that we're actually not aware we're not you know we're not operating with the full set of information we're not operating with our full capacities so our goal has to be to increase our capacities so that we can make better decisions right mm-hmm. so that's kind of what i'm saying to to awaken consciousness is really just to have access to a higher level of thinking and feeling
0: yes and something that we need to do from a whole heap of different levels in order for it to be effective i imagine
1: yeah and it's really it's really interesting because a lot of the really interesting psychological and mystical teachings they begin with the awakening to the fact that we're not awake so it's like one of the most delusional types of thinking is that we are conscious. And it seems like a very important stage in the realization of our potential is realizing that we're not operating at our potential. So, so it's interesting as we observe ourselves and we see, we catch how many moments in the day that we're unconscious, that we do things sort of controlled or guided by ulterior motives that we're not even aware of. And we realize that we're not actually even in control of the things that we're doing and saying, let alone these more unconscious factors that are guiding our process.
0: So one big thing that we can obviously do is to try and be more conscious of that during our daily actions and to be more aware. But then you're also through your different areas of work are trying to, I guess, shake up or raise that awareness or awakening within people through different ways and only just one of them which so many people would know about is your music how do you feel that music can have a role here in helping people become more awakened to the need that they need to be awakened and more and more conscious and and to create change from that
1: well the first thing is to realize that any mission I have is at first dependent on my priority being to awaken my own consciousness Mm. because I don't discuss this subject with any kind of superiority or condescension that I've arrived somewhere where no one else has. It's just not true. Like we're all brothers and sisters. We all have the same set of challenges before us and we are all to varying degrees of subtlety, Equally ignorant of our true nature, right? <laughs> so, um, so, so, music, first and foremost, is a means that I use to awaken my own consciousness. Now, how do I do that? Firstly, it's a craft, and craft is really interesting. It's it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity we have as humans to develop a craft because we have no way of doing it except to have great patience because it relies on incremental progress, year by year, little bits of progress chipping away at this larger skill, or these larger attempts at mastery. And often by the end of our life, only I think we can see that we've actually made some progress in our connection to these to these crafts. So to having a craft is almost an it's an amazing sort of allegory for what we have to do in terms of refining our own personalities and our own psychologies. So I use music in that way and I consider it a very slow and painstaking process, but one that involves relentless intensity in that I started making it when I was 14 years old and I'm now 38. So for 24 years, I have been relatively unswerving in The sort of creative fire I'm trying to generate within me and my attempts to move myself forward towards something beautiful and towards something true and the amounts of failures that we have to go through. I mean, I remember one of the guys from XTC talking about his song, Dear God, and saying he calls it his greatest failure. Um, But he meant it as a compliment or one of his favorite failures or something in that every song is a failure because we're trying to express something inexpressible. And so these songs are all these heartbreaking attempts at trying to capture something and not being able to, but being able to hint at it maybe. So anyway, primarily music is that for me in terms of how it can hopefully support my audience. The word that comes to mind for me is courage. In that I think when we witness somebody working with relentless intensity towards their own goal, despite the failures, despite the humiliations, it gives us hope. It gives us courage. It makes us feel if they can do it, I can do it. So I think maybe at best, that's really something that I aim to give my audience, but Another thing that's been arriving lately that I've been thinking a lot about is that I don't believe my music is saying anything new in a sense but it does it's interesting with solutions like we actually need solutions at this point of our evolution to do with the environmental crisis to do with political sort of stalemates this whole the bureaucracy of politics to do with the way we understand our own journey to enlightenment and the ways we've been locked down in these rigid belief systems we need solutions but i don't have any solutions but what i can do i think as an artist i heard my friend recently described it as spiritual fertilizer
0: mm-hmm.
1: we can as artists and as performers or you know thinkers. We can help create an atmosphere that might be conducive towards solution-based thinking. So it's almost like um, if I can help my audience relax and be positive and be hopeful and be focused, then hopefully they'll come up with the solutions. It's like parenting. You can't tell your kid what to choose in their life exactly because they've got their own journey. But if you help them relax, feel confident, and feel safe, then you trust that their own internal guidance will take over from there. So that, as an artist, I think we can create atmospheres in which solutions might make themselves apparent.
0: Yes. So you're not necessarily coming to them and, well, you're not at all coming to them and saying, this is what I think, and you should think this too, and... (laughs) That's what you should pick up in these lyrics. It's coming from a really pure place. of a,
1: I think of when I've done that, it's been not very successful. <laughs> you know, that's not my most successful work.
0: It, is it one of the, the personal, I guess, failures that you would see yourself? That yeah, you're talking about in exactly.
1: That? And it comes from sometimes like the best intentions, yeah. but that type of pride that we can have of telling other people how to live, it's, it's part of the problem, I think.
0: Mm. <laughs> It seems to be people are rebelling a lot against that now in all, all different levels and, and as soon as they feel like someone's doing that, they they stop listening.
1: Yeah, well it's it's very closed, isn't it? I mean mm. I, I I stop listening when people talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I I'd like to use, I think an example of a, a song I, I mentioned to you in an email before beforehand that I've been listening to your latest album, Freedom, Love and the Recuperation of the Human Mind, on repeat and it's been personally awakening something in me. I find that many of the lyrics are speaking to me on a different level and probably not at the you know, at the same vibrational level that you're thinking when you're writing it at the time, but they're shaking something up. So they've been causing a lot of reflection. And one that jumped out at me was um, in Bigger Than Me and you know, I'm just going to read what the lyric was. So this work is so much bigger than me, so much bigger than me, so much bigger than me and it's the equilibrium that I seek. I'm curious when you were writing that and you're talking about how you come from your own I guess pure place of awakening and, and not necessarily focusing on on changing others and and that it's a, your own craft and what was your journey with with that song and those lyrics because I suspect they speak to people in such different ways.
1: Mm. Well, equilibrium is a really interesting idea, and even in industry, say like in business and in the corporate world, you'll find that people that can achieve a lot are often masters of equilibrium. They can handle a the negotiation. They can tolerate anxiety. They can be in the midst of a tempestuous situation and not buckle under stress. And I think for me in a spiritual sense, I realize that the ability to stay calm and think is directly related to the amount of internal truth that you'll be exposed to. If you're someone who flies off the deep end and goes into fantasies and grandiose ideas about your own enlightenment and, and feelings of superiority and, you know, all these fantastical ideas, it's almost like you, you, you really put a, a limit on how much reality or how much truth you can handle in a sense. So I think of it in terms of a container A container that's strong, that's in equilibrium, can hold a lot of information. And as I said, I'm seeking answers. I'm seeking information. And equilibrium, evenness, stability of emotion, uh, not being swayed hugely by mood, but still being passionate. These are, um, I think these are really important things that I was thinking about with that song. And, And, you know, I was really reflecting on how Again, how many mistakes I've made and how uh, so many of my ideas in my life have been subpar, but they have always been driven by this concept of looking for something bigger, mm-hmm. like really wanting to know the truth. And I think that is what really has like underlied my whole journey so far.
0: It offers a completely different perspective that you wouldn't otherwise see.
1: Yeah. And we want to be broken, don't we? I mean, we want to be humbled and taken out of our self-absorption and our self-obsession and placed at an appropriate level in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that remembering, I mean, every every spiritual path, even psychological paths, such as you know psychotherapy, where they speak about the power of the unconscious, they all speak about a higher power. And it's very... I think crucial to not see yourself as the limit of human potential.
0: Yes. And the two things I I find are so well, and just as you said, I think they're so connected uh, when it comes to even psychology and spirituality. My dad writes about this a lot. He was a counselor in his previous life and has a doctorate in a terminal illness, and he's a very spiritual person. So he's written on my own blog. A little bit about I guess the connection between um psychological constructs and and spirituality and and that higher higher something and it's just so so interesting it pulls you out of yourself and and in a different mindset
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and also like with psychology if it gets buckled down in our pathologies and our wounds yeah. it becomes kind of limiting whereas when We explore psychologically with a spiritual perspective. It can be very useful information.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, on a similar vein, I've noticed that you've been running workshops and events with songwriters, teaching them, I guess, to write from this higher place and with this intention of awakening consciousness and analysing their work. Uh, for any of the musicians or songwriters or even any creators or writers or bloggers listening, would you mind sharing with us some some tips on how you can do this? I imagine it's easier said than done if you're not conscious of it while you're creating.
1: I, I guess I just encourage songwriters to be aware of the space they're writing from, and I think of that as being one of three spaces. It can either be from the space of the ego which is I want, I want, I'm suffering, I'm the worst, I'm the best, you know, uh, that very, um, you know, from the ego space. Or it can be the space kind of from our our sort of raw human essence in that it's the striving towards goodness and trying to move away from darkness. Um, or it can be writing essentially from the heart which is, it's almost like where the highest prayers often have come from, but, or mantras, or you know, that type of writing, which is, it, it's often, they're very beautiful songs, but sometimes people can find them hard to relate to uh, because they, they've already arrived. They're songs from the destination and they're important too. But the middle area, the songs to do with striving towards goodness are really the songs of like the grand human drama, and the way I the, – the construct I tend to use in these types of courses or workshops is really looking at it through the archetype of the, you know, like the Catholic seven deadly sins, um, which I don't mean to use in sort of a moralistic sense, but more in the sense of that they're like seven parts of the psyche that are sort of self-destructive, meaning like when we overindulge in, you know, gluttony or lust or greed or, uh, you know, these various tendencies. That's a really nice way of looking at when we're in the grips of the ego. And so uh, it's kind of like I I encourage songwriters to be aware of the presence of their egoic tendencies and of their virtuous tendencies in their songs. And again, to remember that, like we were just saying, songwriting is – it's a, you're begging for failure. When you write a song, it's, you're hoping that it's going to say the final word about the beauty of your existence or the struggle or whatever. And inevitably you might get a moment of feeling that you nailed it, but because truth always changes and life always changes, you end up feeling, oh, next time, next time. <laughs> um, so I don't mean to talk about these things from the perspective of sort of paralyzing people creatively and feeling like, Oh, I don't want to write the wrong thing or that because really it's something that has to be lived making art. And truly like, I love the expression fail fast, fail cheap, fail often because I think it's by failing that you actually grow and learn. So I like just making stuff and jumping in, but then trying to balance it with having a bit of an ability to ponder what you've done and, get information from it about where you might not want to go again and where you want to go next time.
0: Yeah. I, and I've heard you say, I think in another interview that you believe to fail is one of the greatest gifts of all. And I, I I love that. I wish more people would think that way. It wouldn't be so paralyzing and and you can learn so much and, and grow so much from, from those failures.
1: Well, it's a very personal decision. You can't, really choose to fail, uh, but whether you decide. I I once heard someone say that successful people view failure as something that happens on the way to success. Unsuccessful people view failure as the end of the story. So these are decisions we make, it seems like, uh, in response to the events that occur in our life. Mm.
0: Yes, and one, one of the earlier Podcast episodes I did with Natalie McNeil. I forget the number that she said, but she said most people who are you know, successful, however you define that, uh, look back and they have, there was some statistic, it was multiple failures anyway, under their belt. Um, and it seemed to be a prerequisite to their success.
1: For sure. I mean, you know, I've had, I think you also get peaks and valleys. Like in my music career, I've had peak moments of success. And They were sort of unpredictable, and there were many, many events that led up to those moments occurring that would have sort of been – there was no way to be able to reverse engineer it and know exactly how to repeat it, but – you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. When you get to those moments, you can say, wow, I really did have to go through everything to get there. <laughs> yes. There was no way around those lessons.
0: That's right. We just have trouble remembering it when we're in it sometimes. <laughs> I
1: know. We're in it and we just go like, oh, this isn't included in any syllabus. <laughs> yeah. This just sucks. This is the worst.
0: <laughs> yeah. How am I going to get through? <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to writing writing songs and and being aware of this how about from the other perspective now from the person from the people that are absorbing the creations whether that be music or or writing do you have any suggestions for them how they can actively listen and, and experience these creations in a different way and a higher level for themselves
1: well a lot of it's to do with your intention when you're listening to music And obviously these things can be blurred. Again, like I don't want to portray the idea that there's like a pure way to write songs or a pure way to listen because like we have many agendas operating within us at the same time. But if overall the intention is to hype yourself up or to escape or to fantasize, then it's unlikely that the musical experience will guide you towards an honest reflection about yourself. But if like anything, like with meditation, if the idea is to relax and consider without, and with a less partial judgment, you know, like as soon as we know the experience we want to get out of something, we've pretty much like castrated the experience because there's no way it's, it's not designed for that. Art is designed to take us somewhere we haven't been. So When I listen to music in an ideal sense, my favorite thing is to allow it to reveal things to me or allow my own psyche to reveal things to me in a way where it's sort of playing off the music. But it's very mysterious, you know, how we why music is healing, can be really healing, why it's inspiring and at other times, why nothing happens.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's part of the joy is the mystery in it.
1: Um, uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I've actually personally lately, I go through these phases with meditation and where I have to mix it up and do it in different ways, and I've dropped my meditation practice lately and have just – Put on music and and done like just relaxed into it and be be open to it and see what comes up instead. And I've just found it to be so powerful. It's opening up all types of unexpected things to to look into.
1: Yeah. Well, me and my wife have been talking about this lately. That. Oh, oh. Even the word meditation, it's such a dicey word because Mm. we really don't know that two people are referring to the same thing when they talk about it Mm. or the same experience. And I think the meditative state is the conscious exploration of the psyche. And so that might include the process of listening to music or taking a walk or, you know, whatever it is.
0: Yes, yeah. And I think people would find that so helpful if they you know, thought outside of the box of what meditation is and found ways that they enjoy to open the psyche, it would maybe not be so hard.
1: Yeah, well, again, it's the intention. Like I've also fallen prey many times to dogmatic thinking about process, but there's something about when you have the intention to discover your own psyche, whatever you're doing becomes meditative because there's no other way to listen clearly yeah, it's a it's a slippery area.
0: Yes, it is, which is good too. You know, mm-hmm. More to discover. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, over time, it's not just been music that you've been exploring these different things with. I know you've been using your your platform and and passions and talents in a whole heap of different ways. Do you could you share some of those with us? Some of these other ways that you're trying to help raise consciousness within yourself and have that flow-on effect to others?
1: Well, for me, I try – I like variety. I've always loved that, whether that's collaborations and mixing up styles and playing with different musicians. That's always been part of what I've enjoyed about the creative process, and that extends to working on things outside of music because it's – I don't know. It's sort of – it's just joyous. Like I think bringing an attitude of play – And experimentation to things, uh, it makes everything a creative process. So, you know, business is a side of that, and my wife and I have an essential oils business, and we're very passionate about health and wellness, and also about entrepreneurship and mentoring others. So, it's that's been a really wonderful place to play in a new territory, and learn about ourselves, and and share something that we care about, and always. Collaborating with different charities and, uh, you know, parenting and I, I don't know. It's hard for me to. This is just my life. Like I've always followed things I'm interested in, so I don't have like a list prepared.
0: No, <laughs> you seem like a multi-passionate person.
1: <laughs> well, it's like it. It all ties together. Like yeah. I said, it's all about trying to awaken and trying to gain skills and tools that can help me and maybe help others. And so it's it. it 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 doesn't feel like multi-leveled, it feels like one thing. It feels like my interests. Like it's interesting, I heard someone say recently, if we spoke from our goal rather than our schedule, when someone asked, What do you do? Like if someone if I met someone at a party and they said, What do you do? And I said, Oh, I attempt to awaken consciousness. And, and they say, oh, really? How do you do that? Well, through music and through essential oils and through speaking to people and through charity. And you know, it, it's a totally different conversation uh, than if someone says to you, what do you do? Well, I'm a musician and I have an essential oil business. And I'm where you know, there's that interesting book that came out a couple of years ago called Start With Why. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a there's a lot to be said for beginning these conversations with our intention rather than. A sort of superficial description of our day to day.
0: Yes, wouldn't the um, parties be a lot more interesting if we if we went that way? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening who has a platform and they want to start using it to uh, make a. difference or give back in some way is what would be your advice there is it to follow those those different passions or or your why and it'll naturally lead you there or is there something else you would say?
1: I'm still only 25 years into a journey that I hope goes another 50 years uh, and I haven't learned all these lessons I'm learning them myself It, it seems like the desire to be of service is important because there are many types of platforms people can develop and many reasons they can develop them and things they can do with them when they get them. And they're not all equal, you know, (laughs) like, uh, so I don't know what someone else's real mission is of their heart, but it's like in everything we have to balance out these kind of charismatic tendencies with Actually, having spiritual understanding of what we want to be part of, because there are many types of like acting classes or you know mm-hmm. things like that, or how to win friends and influence people. Yes. and you can become a you can get a platform, you can have a blog, you can do you know, do whatever you like, get a podcast. But I'm questioning in myself and in others, we have to look carefully, I think, at the impulse to want to have a platform and the impulse to to what we want to share on that platform. I definitely in the beginning wanted the platform more than I had a sense of what I wanted to do with it, and I think that's common of a lot of people that try and get famous. And I think as I've gotten older, I've actually wanted less. the, The size of the platform hasn't needed to be as big. Like I'm quite happy playing to a room with 10 people in it, with a hundred people in it. It doesn't need to be 10,000 people for me to feel good about myself. Um, It's more about the quality of what's being shared that is what gives that platform meaning. So it's a real obstacle course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that you said that though. And I I notice and I imagine maybe with becoming, I'm not famous, so I don't know, but with becoming famous, but I do know with business and and entrepreneurship, there's such a huge focus on platform and especially when you're studying those things and when you're building them and you're being coached, there's such a massive, massive uh, focus on platform and on, on building your audience and expanding your reach and that then you can do good and have have you know be of service to others, um, and it's really sometimes it. Oh, I, I don't know. I get I get a bit conflicted when I talk about it because I, I find it hard to articulate the the tension. Um, mm. But it feels like sometimes it's more ego driven than being of service driven. But it's not that simple. It's not that black and white. It's all tangled mm. up. So I
1: yeah, and it seems like and it seems like in those moments where we're really grounded and rooted in. Our purpose then ambition and scale it's very natural you know it's sort of like yeah of course I want to get this to as many people as possible but when the balance tips and we're suddenly all focused on strengthening our network and getting more Instagram followers and you know all that kind of thing and we've actually lost touch with our our why That's then it all just goes a bit wobbly yeah
0: which is an, I can see how it would be an easy trap for a lot of people when you do start to really focus on the micro and day-to-day tasks of, of building a business or a platform
1: to. Oh, and then maintaining, yeah. and they're maintaining and people like you have something that's kind of successful and suddenly the mind kicks in. And it's like, how do I recreate that? How do I do <laughs> that again? That worked really well. People like that. How do I, you know, before you know it, it's like the impulse that led to the creation of that thing yes. is you're so far away from it.
0: Yeah. It gets lost. You have to find yourself you know back to your why or your new why that I guess has evolved on the on the journey,
1: yeah, but again, we have to be compassionate with ourselves, and this is a process. And if we can be transparent with each other and admit when we've failed and when we've gone off the track a little bit and just get ourselves back on, I mean, there's really like like getting weighed down in guilt and humiliation is really not helpful to anybody. Um, you make a mistake. If you're a, I've done it multiple times in my career. I've like just gone drifted off into some sort of agenda that is not serving my highest goals, really. And sooner or later, you realize that and you dust yourself up You just go, okay, let's get back to it.
0: Yes. No, reveal. I assume when you go off on that, you know, that agenda or that little side path, that it reveals a lot as well about your why and can help deepen it if you're not bashing yourself up too much afterwards.
1: Yeah. And it also reveals your weaknesses, mm. you know, and they're good to know. If you don't want to repeat them, you got to <laughs> yeah. see them and go. Wow, I'm really like maybe it's you're really tempted by money. Yes, you're really, you know, whatever those things are that you have have led you to compromise in some way, you got to see them in yourself. You got to observe them in yourself if you want to correct them.
0: Yes, yes. Now, with this, I would also like to talk to you about ethical business because I know that's something that you're you're passionate about as well, and I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs and and coaches who are listening and who are interested in, in ethical business. That's why they listen to this podcast. So I'm curious, is there anything that you'd like to to share there around progressing their vision when it comes to an ethical business or is it in type, in line with the many of the other things that we've already talked about today? Well, I
1: suppose the thing, you know, particularly when it comes to money and business, if you, if you talk to people that are interested in spirituality or consciousness and have gone through yoga or, you know, mm-hmm. ashrams or like whatever they've done you know um you'll often find like this super conflicted relationship to money yeah and and as a result you know we go into areas where we need healing i mean it's these these goals that we set for ourselves there's it's not an accident you know so the goal of running a business and and sort of detoxifying my own business ideas and making peace with ambition and entrepreneurialism. They're things that are really important to me. Um, And what I see in myself was there was a bit of a narrative that the only way to make money was basically through taking advantage of a situation or of people. And the idea that ethical business could exist in which really everyone wins was i just wasn't even open to that concept i viewed business as essentially dirty and what i'm seeing is that there are other models emerging and other conversations starting to be had about what does business look like where everybody wins and i would just encourage others if you haven't considered that to consider it because before it can come into existence, we have to be open to the idea. And again, first begins to create the atmosphere where innovative business ideas and innovative technology ideas and environmental solutions can occur. We have to really want them. We have to be open to them and like them and be excited by them. And then they will arrive.
0: I love that shift in thinking. And I say shift because I when I talk to my clients for coaching, and a lot of them are fairly new to business and building businesses, they they really struggle with with uh, thinking about how can they change the world and do good and be of service whilst also marketing and selling themselves in their packages. And they see it so black and white and and quite often won't actually tell people what it is that they're doing or what they have to offer in their business because it feels so dirty. Mm. Yeah, thinking about it in that way that you just said, I could see how that would be really helpful to so many people.
1: Well, and the biggest thing I think for me that's been really, really affected me in my music career and everything is the idea of becoming a value-adding person. Uh, Basically, good things happen to people that add value. Mm. Other people want to collaborate with them. Other people want you involved in stuff. The phone rings, basically. (laughs) You know, so if instead of being focused on this marketing idea of how do I get the post that's going to engage 5,000 people, instead of thinking, how can I create the highest value post that adds the most to people's lives? You know, I just did a post yesterday that was really an answer to a question. Somebody had written to me about the essential oils we work with, doTERRA, and said, are they organic? And if not, can you explain a bit about that? So I just did like a five minute post. On Facebook, where I really went into how organic certification is, it's got a lot of loopholes in it. And it really isn't the sort of official stamp that everybody believes it to be. Like, for instance, I use the example of meat, where you can buy organic meat, but that doesn't mean that it's grass fed or free range free roaming you know so it doesn't always mean the highest quality but because we're such a bureaucratic society we kind of believe if you've got the government stamp you are the best you're the official so anyway i just did this post about explained it and woke up today and it's had over a 100 people share it and over four and a half thousand views and i literally like i do post sometimes where i'm thinking like oh people are really gonna like this this was not one of them (laughs) i thought this would be a very niche concept but little did I know it hit on a subject that it's a pretty big niche you know so again it was just it began with offering value and I think that is really where this whole conversation about marketing and building network and everything needs to begin
0: Mm. yes so many different conversations that I've had with people are, are coming together with how that could help them so much, it, which is so simple. It sounds so simple and obvious, but coming
1: back yeah, I mean, to. Even, so, so just one more thing to do uh, with that. Like yeah. you, you all of these coaches and everything are doing internet marketing, right? Through yeah. Facebook and stuff. And they're trying to generate leads. Yeah. Now, what's the best way to generate a lead? Offer something for it. Mm. <laughs> Say, do you want a free video book, you know, whatever? Sign up here and receive it. Mm. So It's like you're not expecting someone's email address for nothing so you can bombard them for the rest of their life (laughs) with your monitoring tools. You're being very transparent. You're saying, let me offer you something. I mean, I went to this stationery shop a few months ago and they gave me, I bought $150 of products and they offered me a 20% discount for my email address. Wow. It's huge. That's That's $60 off my price for an email address that I might just unsubscribe when they send me the first one but what they know is that I'm already spending 150 dollars there I already like them yes they value they're going to give me value to maintain that connection yes you know and so I just like that whole way of thinking I think it's really um it's really it, it's really beginning with value value given value received that's the way we should think about business
0: yes and I think that has got lost in the messaging sometimes too because I know as an online business owner that we're always taught to, you know, create an, an opt-in so you have a value exchange to give people if they want to sign up to your mailing list and blah, blah, blah. And you start thinking again at that focus level on what will my opt-in be, what will get the most sign-ups and you kind of lose, again, that higher perspective of the adding adding value and being of service and the higher... I, again, it's difficult to articulate because it's complex and it's kind of, I sound a bit mean if I, (laughs) if I say that's what we're all doing, but no, no, it's
1: good. We're all friends doing business and you need to have your customers. But, and then once you get that email address, what are your emails like that you send out? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like are they emails that people are going to be excited to open because they contain real information for free? Yes. You know what I mean? That's the emails I want to get. They're the ones I'm going to open. So it's kind of it's a whole mentality. It's, it's sort of it's sort of simple in a way. It's like give first and trust that you'll be compensated.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I know I coach who before every email she sits down and she sets a an intention for that email and what she's hoping to. You know, to to how she's hoping to be of service and and to give value in each and every email, she writes that intention out, puts it on a post-it note, and on her screen before she writes it. I think that's so beautiful.
1: Wow, yeah, that's mm. impressive. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I, I'm going. To, I'd love to switch now to. I was watching a YouTube clip of you where you were talking about thinking outside of the box and being aware of systems and and being a free thinker and. I really resonated with that and I suspect a lot of people do. So I wanted to ask you about it because I heard you say something in there about the guru system as being an mm-hmm. example, but it sounded like that was a whole area in itself and, and you mentioned it but you didn't go in detail. So I'm wondering, since we've got lots of people who are coaches and interested in spirituality and, and gurus, <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit? about the power of gurus or, or what you were implying there in that talk?
1: Well, I can only speak from my own experience. Like mm-hmm. I had a guru for maybe six years or something like that and I came to believe that essentially it's built on a lie, the whole structure, in that it promises a liberation within <laughs> slavery the basically is, you know, give up everything to the guru and you'll be given uh, the eternal bliss or the eternal promise or the grace of the guru or whatever phrase is called. But I actually like don't believe that it's possible to awaken your consciousness using that model. I mean, I, I I'm very kind of almost scientific about the way I think about spirituality. And I think things sort of either work or they don't. And to me, The various types of contaminated thoughts and projections and power dynamics that go on within this system where people have gurus, they actually become like major impediments to people gaining self-knowledge. And one of the biggest ones to that is that you're essentially disempowering yourself and also believing I mean, and if there, I'm going to oversimplify and reduce the whole concept down to just a few basic, you know, sentence. But basically, you believe it's possible that there are magical people, places, or things that can do your work for you. At the end of the day, if enlightenment is a journey that each person has to take on their own, I do not believe it's possible. That you can get a special crystal or a special hug or a special person to guarantee you success Mm. i just nothing else is like that so why would the spiritual path be like that Mm. relationships aren't like that careers aren't like that and you know the famous occult maxim as above so below the spiritual world works the same way the material world does just with a different different consciousness Mm. and there are no shortcuts in this universe. So I do not believe that the grace of the guru as an external thing is real, essentially. Um, I I don't mean to, you know, you asked me about it, so I'll tell you about it. It's not something like I don't want to hurt people's feelings or start an argument or something, Mm -hmm. but I I just think the, the inner guru is real. And I think that is probably where the major confusion arose from that we do each have an internal guru. But I do believe that you can't serve two masters. Mm. And if you choose to serve an external guru, there's sort of no way to do it without giving them authority over your personal guru, your internal guru. Mm. You have to choose, you know. And so I, I don't what do you want me to say? I don't like it, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I mean, yeah, this is, I've, I'm, we've all made this mistake. I made this mistake, yes. you know? But I hit a point where I realized that if I wanted the truth, it could not be with a buffer or with a big brother or with someone to kind of take the heat mm. of the communication between me and God. Mm-hmm. that if there is if there is truth, I wanted to experience it personally. I just want to apologise because as <laughs> I'm speaking, I can feel these ideas are provocative. Yes. Um, and it's not my desire to upset anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something I've lived through, so I think I can speak about it with some degree of personal experience.
0: Yes. And I think even if you don't agree it's helpful to have that in the back of your mind when you you might have a guru and be handing your power fully over to them. Yeah. Having heard what you've just said, regardless of whether someone agrees or not, I can see how that's helpful in terms of opening their consciousness and their inner compass themselves and being aware of that as they go forward.
1: Well, you know, a very religious man once said to me, Never be subservient to anybody, even to god,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I thought that was a beautiful phrase because subservience is the enemy. subservience means we 've stopped wrestling,
0: mm-hmm. we 've
1: stopped struggling. gerchev talked talked about all all good all heat comes from struggle. Mm-hmm. And at the moment when we pacify ourselves and it all becomes simple and we're looked after and we know the answer and we're on the path and, oh, those poor other people aren't with the guru or they're not in this right school or they, they, you know, at those moments, oh, we're okay. The struggle is gone yes. and there's no friction. There's no transformation.
0: Yes. Yeah. The struggle is ignored quite often and putting it back in the hands of the, is this, to me, like this can extend to so many things, like when you think about what a guru is, not just in terms of spirituality but in terms of the people we put on pedestals and the so-called experts in all types of areas where we stop free thinking, we stop thinking for ourselves and feeling within and, and questioning things and just blindly Assuming that if that person said that, it must be correct. I must do well, that. Well that's
1: that's exactly it. And like what I I'll probably if I ever met a very strong devotee of a guru mm. who truly had some disagreements philosophically mm. with his guru, I might change my mind. If I if I sense someone was actually thinking to the point that they considered their guru wrong about some things Yes. but still was heavily devoted, then that might open up a possibility to me, but I've never seen that. What I've seen is that people get very devoted and suddenly they go with the party line. Yes. And they accept it quite blindly, and that to me is when it's really dangerous psychologically.
0: Mm. Well, I hope there's some people out there that have a guru relationship like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, it
0: I hope so, otherwise it's a bit scary in my in my personal view.
1: Because even like, re- it's interesting, you read about the Dalai Lama mm. and he would have consultations with oracles who were people considered to channel certain deities within Tibetan Buddhism. But what's very interesting is sometimes he'd take their advice, sometimes he wouldn't. Mm. He fully recognised them as, in his mind, connected to a high source, a divine source, but he also viewed them as collaborators, not uh, superiors. Yes. So so that's a wild whole other sort of construct we could begin to explore of what does it mean to acknowledge higher intelligence, but also to think for ourselves Mm. and not subservient. Yes, and that
0: would be something that is very... Very growth-oriented and and helpful to keep in mind. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Okay. I'm going to change direction again a little bit and talk about death, the topic that lots of people don't like to talk about, but it comes up a fair bit in our household, and and from what I've read, it probably comes up a fair bit in your life as well because you're a a deaf midwife and have volunteered in hospitals. Can you tell us a bit about... How how you found yourself in that role and what you've learned from it in relation to your core mission?
1: Well, truly, you know, firstly, I'm not a professional. I've done the training and it's a set of skills that I have. I, I hopefully bring them to situations that call for them as a possibility. But for me, it was really about realising that when someone is, in a profound internal experience, how can you best support them? Whether they're dying, living, whether a baby, you know, whatever it is, someone going through a breakup, you know, whatever it is. There's really not a lot you can do except sort of create the conditions within which they can wrestle with what they need to wrestle with. And that to me is really what the death midwife, that whole role is, that someone's personal process, reflecting on their life, the various feelings and memories and dreams and yearnings and fears and hopes that come up in that time, it's incredibly personal and not to be dictated to by an external source. But I think to be able to create conditions where that person can be in their process is quite Quite an important thing.
0: Yes. And it's it seems to be a theme that's coming through in a lot of the things that you're saying is holding that space for yourself and for people to go through their process and and to to just be there in it, I guess, be really present and
1: And coming coming back to that lyric and it's equilibrium Mm. I seek. Mm. How can you help anyone if you get so rocked that you can't maintain equilibrium? So becoming a strong container is kind of the name of the game for me.
0: Mm. Thanks for tying it all together there towards the end for <laughs> us. <laughs> it's beautiful. Now, before we finish, I would just love if you could share what's next for you, what's next on this mission and, and how can we support you in well, what's happening?
1: Well, at the moment I'm, I'm working hard on a musical that I've been writing with the writer Tom Robbins called Beers for Beer, which is a very um, fun and accessible real look at Consciousness from the eyes of a child. And I've also got a project with my friend Josh Radner called Radner and Lee, and continuing to educate about essential oils. If people are interested in that, they can see us on facebook skyly oils, s k y e l e e oils. Um and just you know staying creative. People can just go over, you know uh, to any of my pages or socials, whatever, and keep up with what I'm doing hopefully i add value (laughs) yes
0: uh you so you most certainly do Uh, and i think that even what you've shared here today demonstrates that hugely so your website is ben lee.com if people want to jump over there and get value (laughs) they can do so and i'll include the the youtube clip that i referred to and and links to your album and whatnot as well but thank you thank you so much thank you thanks for the great talk (laughs) listening to the dream for others podcast if you want to connect with like-minded people who are passionate about using their platform passions and uniqueness for social good head on over to facebook and search for our private group called the dream for others community for episode notes further inspiration and access to my award-nominated free resources please visit NaomiArnold.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate if you'd please subscribe, leave a review in iTunes and share it wide and far. Let's continue to dream for others and I'll talk to you soon.